had Adolf Hitler not taken the coward's way out and he would have gone through trial, you would just say, well, just let's just put him in prison for a while. Yeah, I would. I, I don't. He, he, I don't, in other words, his, his crime wasn't bad enough to deserve the death penalty. It wasn't. I, and it's really just... This, it wasn't. No. And why? To me, I, I, I don't understand. It just doesn't work in, in my uh, way of thinking to kill someone as a punishment for killing, you know, the thousands of people that he killed. No, it was it, millions of people. That millions. He yeah. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 44 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today is from Houston, Texas. Michael, welcome to You Are the Guest. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Well, good. We're excited to have you here. <laughs> Michael, what can you tell our audience about yourself? Well, um, I've lived in Houston for most of my life, and um, currently I'm a music teacher and a freelance musician, and uh, I play the piano, and a podcaster. You don't sound like you're from Texas, though. Uh, I get that a lot. My, my uh, dad is from the East Coast, and my mom is from the West Coast, so I guess I was brought up in a household that didn't really have the, the twang going on. And you didn't pick that up on your own? I didn't. I think, even, especially when I was in high school, I really resisted it. I, I was far too cool for such things. <laughs> How does one resist not picking up a few of those extra twangs like y'all and ol? Um, I don't know. I think that I, I do say y'all. I I finally just let that one happen because, and I think it's sheer uh, laziness, verbal laziness. <laughs> but um, I, I just I don't know how I really avoided it. Just I just made an effort to to keep away from that stretching out slow thing. So what was it like growing up in Texas? Um, it was okay. I, I I think the hardest time I had being in Texas was when I uh, when I was in high school. I actually lived in Tyler, which is in East Texas, and it's a small smaller city, and it's very uh, very conservative and uh, run much by the uh, Baptist churches. So, uh, yeah, I, I I had a tough time with that. Being a, it, you know, the the um, athletics and all those sort of things are really, you know, the most important things at school and in the community. And I was a piano player in the choir and all that stuff. So I had a, a tough time with like the whole idea of school in general. With the, you know, the, you know, I think a lot of people do. I'm sure I'm not the only one. But um, but I did. I really had a great bond with the um, like the other music kids and theater kids and all that sort of stuff. So um, I think the hardest part was was uh, dealing with what I perceived to be small-mindedness. A lot of clicks? Yeah. And a lot of, uh, there's a lot of money there, too. So, um, and I guess we were a middle-class family. So uh, we didn't really have, like, the, the swanky cars and all that sort of thing that a lot of the other kids had. 
Do you see a lot of kids that are wrapped up into the MySpace type of socializing, and by doing that, they don't gain a lot of social skills for later on in life? I think I would go with a yes on that. Um, I, I, dealing with kids and, and um, a lot of parents, like many of the parents or the people that work in my school are also parents of students at the school. And um, I, I agree with that. And I think that even for me, I think I have a tendency to kind of get drawn into different Internet pursuits that keep me from from being social in sort of the real world. It's almost more convenient to just do it online or to send it out online as opposed to going out and actually talking to people. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, I feel like personally, I don't know if this is true for everyone, I feel like I have a tendency to avoid direct contact with people when I could just email them rather than give them a call. I think it, that troubles me about myself, and I, I would guess that I'm not the only person who is like that. I, that maybe starting to have more of a tendency to just communicate in a more isolated way. How do you think that's going to affect our upcoming generation? If that's the way that they are really learning to socialize and interact with people? These are really good questions. Um, it's, I, I think it could go two ways. Uh, I think that really the, as much as the Internet can um, um, enable people to isolate themselves, I think in a lot of ways it makes it easier to communicate with people from further away. Like there's just in my podcasting and in um, I've been able to connect with people that before I was on the Internet, I never would have even been able to, to you know, contact. <clears throat> so I think that in that way, it, it, I think it depends on what people choose to do with it. But my, my thought is that a lot of us have a tendency to sort of go with the easier way. So in, in a lot of ways, I would say that, yeah, I think that it will kind of prevent people from being as social and connected as we have been in the past. If you were to describe the Green Party to someone, what would you tell them? That's a good question. I interviewed someone from the, the Green Party, the Texas candidate for governor, and part of what I was doing by contacting him was trying to learn myself about the Green Party. Um, but the things that stick out to me the most about it are that it, um, in general, seems to be um, environmentally minded, and um, nonviolent, which I think is um, something that we could use today in our country. Um, so are you saying the, the Republicans or the Democrats are violent people? Well, no. <laughs> These are, uh, I, think that, I think that we have a tendency to uh, disconnect ourselves from who we're uh, committing violence to. Such as who? Um, well, I think uh, some of the things I've been starting to read about lately are um, uh, people who are in prison, or also, uh, a lot about um, the war in Iraq as well. And and part of what what I see happening is, and in myself, a lot of what I've been able to learn recently has been sort of to pick out my own sort of shortcomings and and make efforts to to improve those. So one of them was that I, I haven't. I really never paid much attention to politics at all, and especially the war. And, and about a year ago, it really hit me that there are people in Iraq that I haven't really thought about until recently, like what, what their lives were like before um, the war and, you know, what the culture was like and all those sort of things. It seems like 
um, it's easy for us over here to um, to just to think about, well, that's just a country full of terrorists, and if we drop bombs on them, then that's okay because they're bad. You know, I don't know. So, I, but I don't think anyone's really. I, it's. I wouldn't say that Republicans or Democrats are inherently violent, um, but it. It, I think it does trouble me that there is that we're so quick to be violent. And how did America be quick to rush into violence, in your opinion? Um, in terms of the war, or just in general? Yeah, just in general. Just to kind of back up your your last statement. Yeah, this is this is so good for me because I'm. It's really good for me to uh, have to back this stuff up. I think that. Um, uh, now that now that you asked me that question, I think that I want to change my statement. Is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's what I think is so valuable about this stuff is to like have, suddenly be like, wait a minute, I think that I was wrong there. Um, I, I think, I, I, maybe it's easy to become violent. Maybe that's more what I mean. Then how is it easy? Well, because we're, especially in terms of what's going on in other countries, because we're here and and for the most part we're safe from being attacked. I mean, barring uh, terrorist attacks, which really are rare over here, if I'm not, if I'm picking that up right. I mean, it's, it's easy for us to, to, to allow violence to happen and to allow, you know, this war to go on without really having to give much consideration at all to what sort of effect it's having on other human beings. Okay, I'm not, still not following you there. Okay. I, I guess where, where I'm left short is that this maybe this assumption that we're the only ones that are applying this violent sort of international politics. Uh, I see what you're saying. And yet, yep. there's there's uh, Britain is with us. There's many other countries within the coalition. Obviously, we've 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 done the political route as much as we could, and so did the UN before the war in Iraq. Right. So uh, I'm trying to find out why we are quick to be violent huh because that there doesn't really seem to be a very quick process it's not like we we woke up one day you know after 9-11 and on on for example on september 12th we're over there fighting them right well how how long was the period of time be be between the um 9-11 and our first uh, shock was shock and awe the first bombing that went on yeah that would have been Mar march of 2003 Okay, so that that's not quick. I'll definitely agree with that because that's two years, right? Well, about a year and a half. About yeah. So um, I think I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that from from my perception of myself and the people around me, it's easy for us to to forget that that that's going on. And and you're right about the the idea of us being quick to become violent in that case i think that you are right and and i don't have anything to back up <laughs> my my original statement so yeah but i i think um it it's easy for us to to participate even with our just with our inaction Be just because it's so separate from us okay next question are, <laughs> did, i didn't i didn't get there did i well you know it, it's it's okay you know the I got uh, a few emails on a show a couple times back from people that said, you know, you're really hard on the guests. And it's like, no, I'm trying to find out if they really believe with what they're saying. 
And yeah. sometimes people just kind of spout out those sound bites, and it's like, okay, that was provoking. So, yeah. you know, what else can you tell me about that? And then they just run themselves in, in circles. But you've done, I, I will give you credit that you have um, at least step back and say, okay, is that what I really meant? Instead of yeah. completely trying to defend something that is almost indefensible, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I actually, I appreciate being put on the spot in a way because I, I really want to be able to see the entire picture. And I know that in my, my reading and, and the people that I talk to are totally liberal people. So I know that that's, that I'm not going to be able to talk about the whole picture because I haven't given myself the opportunity to learn it yet. And there might be some conversations that you may be in the middle with that because you're talking with an audience that's far to the left that they just won't even see it yeah. or consider it. Yeah. There, there was something you said on a previous show because I I, I've been kind of listening to get a feel for the show, and, and I really like it, by the way. But that you, were, um, you said, I can't remember what the question was, but the, the um, guest, one of his questions had to do with um, what you saw as, as a problem in the United States. And I, if I'm remembering the correct question, you said something like the, the rift between the Democrats and the Republicans. Mm -hmm. And there, there's so much separation between the two sort of sides that we don't, we're so busy trying to make the other look bad that we're not making an effort to sort of understand the other point of view. Which yeah. Really, it's going to be in the middle somewhere. Partisan politics. Yeah. But that's also been the history of the country, too. There's always been partisan politics to some degree. It's just that because of the mass media and the Internet that we're just getting all that information a lot faster and in a lot more detail. Right. Yeah. So next question. Are you in favor of the death penalty? Um, I am not in favor of the death penalty. Um, and <clears throat> this is another one that's kind of, like the main reason why I'm not uh, in favor of the death penalty is that I just really don't agree with the idea of um, killing someone. I don't feel like there's any um, reason that that's okay. So, and that's not really a great argument against it, I don't think. But, um, but I, I, that's where it starts for me. I think there are so many uh, people. Like there was a. A, a Houston woman who was executed back in September, and this is really when I started following the death penalty. And um, if nothing else, like I don't, I don't know whether she was really innocent, um, but I do know from what I read and, and the people I talked to when I interviewed her mother, actually, um, she didn't, she didn't receive a fair trial. So, at the very least, or, or at the, what am I trying to say? I think at the very least, she, her trial should have been. She should have been given another trial. There was there was evidence that was withheld that um, was later discovered, and uh, her her uh, defending attorney was um, later disbarred because of his uh, ineptitude. So th I think there are a lot of cases where I, I think there are innocent people who are being executed. Is there anybody in the world that, for justice's sake, deserves the death penalty? Not in my opinion. Has there any, been anybody in the history of the world that deserved the death penalty? No. Nobody? No, I'm waiting for, for an example, though. <laughs> for example, I, had, had Adolf Hitler not taken the coward's way out mm -hmm. 
and he would have gone through trial, you would just say, well, just let's just put him in prison for a while. Well, yeah, I would. I, I don't. He, he, I don't. In other words, his his crime wasn't wasn't bad enough to deserve the death penalty. Just it wasn't, and it's really just it this. wasn't. No. And why? I mean, he he had no problem in in killing millions of people. Yeah. But uh, but we should spare his life. Yeah, I mean, and I and I can understand why that seems idealistic or or even silly, but. To me, I, I I don't understand. It just doesn't work in in my uh, way of thinking to kill someone as a punishment for killing you know the thousands of people that he killed. No, it was it, millions of people. That millions. He killed. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's really not even just it's. I don't know if I want to call it like a spiritual thought or or what, but really to me, I just have this this sense of. Um, that not being the right thing to do. Who politically is representing the left? That's a question that I think I'm going to have a hard time answering just because of... Uh, well, that, that's, that's the question a lot of people have a hard time answering. <laughs> yeah, I, well, well, in addition to the fact that it's just kind of, I don't... It's hard to tell who's representing who. Um, and real, and my, my political awareness is still lacking, so... Um, are we talking politicians or just in in general public figures? Either one. You take your best guess on who you think is really representing the left and really uh, doing a good job of it, or or who is best representing what what I think the left stands for? Is that the question? Oh God, I don't even. I, the the people that I think of, I don't like. I mean, Michael Moore crosses my mind because I've been watching a lot of his stuff, but I don't feel like he is someone who I would want to say is representing me. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate what he does, but I don't think that that I would want to be connected in that way. I in really other words, you wouldn't really vote for him if you ran for office. Um, depends on who else was running, I think, but I probably wouldn't. I think that. It, just as uh, I think he's as much an instigator as anyone else. I mean, I don't feel like that—that that is the best way to to approach, you know, what we're doing. I, I think that his his approach is much like what I what I would um, criticize the right with. Um, it, it's just that sort of I, I see uh, the most outspoken people on either side seem to be spending their the most of their energy on making the other side look stupid rather than than explaining why what is good about what they're doing upmanship in other words yeah who who do you think is pretending to represent the left but they're not man this is a tough question for me i really don't think i have an answer at all how do you think um, hillary's doing um i haven't been paying much at it like you know what? What came to mind just when you asked that question was Laura Bush when she, uh, what she said recently about um, not making gay marriage um, a, a, a election issue. I can't remember exactly how she said it, but to me that's something that that represents my perception of the left. But you would never consider Laura Bush to be from the left, right? Right. She's from the right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but I, I guess 
I can't think of a person to choose. I mean, there, and I think mostly it's just because of my um, my own ignorance of, of um, you know, political figures. What's the difference between patriotism and nationalism? Uh, patriotism, and I, I'm going to be defining these as I go, so feel free to, to call me out if need be. <laughs> um, you, you got it. All right, thanks. I had a feeling you wouldn't be too shy about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, patriotism to me is it's just about I, I guess the way I take it is that it's a it's almost a blind faith in a country you know like uh, uh, the thing that comes to mind is a lot of the post 9-11 thing and I bought into it too where I was just like you know the flags were waving and um, we were all it was you know we were all a big team against the evildoers etc but um but the the part of it that sort of went awry for me was the that sort of uh, you're with us or against us mentality i guess that's sort of what i connect to patriotism and uh nationalism seems to be more about uh, um just uh, it, god i don't even know how to define nationalism this, and yeah, this is the question that your last guest had a hard time with too, huh? Yeah, he didn't even attempt it. Yeah, I don't. I guess I'll just throw out my sort of knee-jerk thought about nationalism, um, about it being more of sort of, um, I guess, a more thought-out um, patriotism. But that is totally my just. I'll throw out an answer. Answer. <laughs> okay. Here's here's my thoughts on that because I think it's only fair to since I'm okay. asking the question to, to to throw it out is is that patriotism is your love of the country, mm -hmm. nationalism is more of an isolation type of government policy, which means that we're just going to do what's in our interest regardless of what the rest of the world is doing. Uh, okay, so when, patriotism is more about really loving what the country but I, so nationalism makes it more about a disregard for the rest of the world right that, for, am i understanding that correctly right for example in the the early 1900s there was really kind of a call for nationalism which is you know let's let's skip what's going on in the rest of the world like what's going over on europe and that really doesn't affect us so you know who cares if the germans are taking over europe for example, if we had a real nationalistic type of view on the tsunami, we would have just said, who cares? Mm -hmm. That's what nationalism, you know, it's like it doesn't affect us, so who cares? That's what nationalism right. is. Patriotism is, you know, your love of the country. And sometimes people get the two mixed up, in my opinion. Okay. And the final question, when is the government too involved in people's everyday lives? Uh, that that's a tough call. I think that um, when the, when the government prevents us from from taking actions um, in our own lives that would not harm other people, then they have um, become too involved in our lives. Does that make sense? The way I said that. So, are you saying that they would, the government would have a restriction on people's civil liberties? Yes. Yeah. I think well one of the things that I, that I uh, think about and uh, is this uh, 
there's a proposed amendment to ban gay marriage to the Constitution. And to me, that is something that, um, well, it's not legal to begin with in most of the states. But to me, that is an action that uh, the government has taken that's, that is too much, too much into the lives of the people in the country that really they should, I don't feel like they should be involved in. Michael, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. And this is where we turn the tables and you get to ask the questions. And hopefully you'll be challenging me on some of the answers as well. So go ahead. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> well, my first question was, what is your favorite source of news? And that comes from that, that sort of desire to find a, uh, a, a more sort of right-oriented uh, news source to balance out my reading. My two sources of news include Google, where I just pull that up as my homepage, and it's got the top stories of the day. And my second one is a podcast of Meet the Press. And uh, I used to do Face the Nation, too, but uh, CBS doesn't do a very good job in translating that show over to a podcast, in my opinion. But uh, those are the two, Meet the Press on a weekly basis, and then also... Uh, just Google on a daily basis. How about yourself? Well, um, that I, I'm still sort of picking some things up. I've been listening to Democracy Now. Um, you, you know, part of what makes it tough for me with the news is that I, I'm not so interested in how the government works, but but I realize that it's something that I need to know. So it's one of those things that I'm sort of almost forcing myself to do. And I know, like, Democracy Now! is really, like, an extremely liberal show. So that's one, one of the reasons why I've sort of been trying to seek something else out. So that's where that and um, just different podcasts I listen to, um, just what other people are talking about. That's really actually been really helpful for me because um, it, it, hearing things in a more sort of conversational way works for me. Check out the Meet the Press podcast because they really just encapsulize the whole program. And what's neat about that is then I can listen to it on Monday afternoon. You know, if I miss it, if I miss the show because I'm at church or, or taking the, the morning off or, or whatever, you know, that's a great way for me to catch up with the show. And, and Tim Russert really does, in my opinion, a good job with Meet the Press. So, so if you're looking for one, try that one. I will, definitely. A podcast makes it even better. Go ahead with question number two. Okay, it is. Uh, which of your achievements in your life are you most proud of? Looking for personal achievements or are you looking for business achievements? Um, how about one of each? One of each. Um, business achievement is the one that I'm most proud about is just starting my own business four years ago. Okay. Um, the second achievement that I'm most proud of would be that uh, coming to Fort Dodge and rebuilding a radio station that was losing $100,000 in cash a year and, and making it into a very profitable station, that would be number two. But the fact that I started my own business and, and have been able to keep it going and keep it growing for the last four years is, is probably my best achievement. Um, best personal achievement? Getting on a motorcycle and, and racing motorcycles because when I was... 18, 19, I was just deathly afraid of motorcycles. And so I kind of looked into the eye of the beast and uh, surprisingly was able to tame it. So those would be uh, the two for me. That's a great one. I like the motorcycle one. That's good. 
How about, okay, cool. how about for yourself? Um, I think my um, really, I think podcasting has been an achievement for me in a way because, uh, and a lot of like, I, I think I'm being into the ground. This whole notion of sort of opening up my eyes to the rest of the world. I think I've really and uh, made an effort to allow myself to look stupid. <laughs> I, I think that's the best way to say it. Like, I think a lot of allow um, yourself to look stupid. Yeah, I think that that being afraid to look stupid kept me from learning a lot of things. So, like, uh. there are people who I've asked to to be on my show who I was really terrified of talking to. And, in fact, I was really nervous about talking to you, too, because I knew <laughs> that there was a lot that I wasn't going to be able to back up. But I think that and it's really... You thought, well, he's going to be a jerk and ask me lots of stupid questions. Well, no, because at, at listening to your show, I was like... You, to me, it seems like you're really pretty easy on the guests <laughs> a lot of times. Well, well uh, you know, it's, it isn't me. This isn't meet the press. You know, I don't need right. to hold everybody accountable, especially politicians and the like. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, that's my my personal. I, I think currently anyway, if I thought about it, maybe, I, you know, actually, I got sober um, 11 years ago. So I think that really would have to be the most important personal one. And, and sober uh, is good. Yeah, it really is, considering uh, what I was like before that. <laughs> the sobriety is, is A+. Plus. What's question so, number three? Uh, number three is, do you see podcasting really hitting the mainstream as far as um, being as, as important a form of media as TV and uh, radio are now? No. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of gone through the different phases of that, and I guess the current phase that I'm I'm in is that podcasting will continue. It will be a niche media, but it will always be eighth place. It'll it'll always be behind the internet, radio, television, magazines, and the like. Now there will be some exceptions there. But uh, will, will podcasting be this this huge media revolution? Boy, I don't think so. I think I think it'll be an ex, uh, an extension of the internet, which is which will be number one. But right. it will just be another extension because you've got blogging in there, you've got podcasting, and you probably video casting will be up there as well. You probably will have some others that uh, we haven't even discovered yet that will come right. along, but. Will it be as big a force as the others? I don't think so. What What's your opinion on that? You know, I I I kind of went both ways. I think that it's a it's really exciting to me just the um, the fact that so much independent so many independent voices are getting more of an audience. But I I agree with you too that I it doesn't seem like to me that it's something that that is going to replace or even get to the same level as radio and television. It, because it always, the, I, I, I think what I appreciated about it is also what will keep that from happening. That's sort of the, the um, sort of more personal approach to journalism yeah. that podcasting seems to have that I don't think um, the majority of people will ever really take as seriously. Well, I think that with, with podcasting, what you have is the freedom for quote-unquote, the little guys like you and me, to go out and do a show and talk to people and, and do the like. But because of that freedom and because individuals are doing it, 
there's so many of us. You know, where does a listener, you know, go out and divide up their media time in 10,000 different ways? They, they can't do it. So what happens with podcasting is that for the majority of podcasters, they have an audience, but it's an appreciably smaller audience than any small town radio station or small town television station or, or any of those type of, of medias. And so because of that, most podcasts won't be able to get that critical mass that is needed to really be considered as a serious medium, if, if okay. I'm making myself clear on that. Yeah, I think so. Like the, the audience could be as large as an audience for television, like in the general sense of podcasting, but because there's so many podcasts, there won't be any podcasts that have that huge uh, following. Is that, that, do I understand that correctly? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like cable. For example, 25 years ago, we basically had three channels. Now you've got 60 channels, and cable just divided up the television audience so where people weren't spending five hours a night with abc cbs and nbc now they only spend an hour an hour and a half and they're off someplace else well same thing with with podcasting is that you know for those that can get it and those that are interested in being able to time shift their audio listening that's great but it's just you know they still only have x amount of hours to listen and it's just going to cut up the pies in even thinner pieces mm -hmm. as opposed to creating all this extra time that people are going to be spending with the media yeah that makes sense michael do you want to tell about your podcast and how people can listen to your show Sure. Uh, it is uh, at MikeyPod.com, M-I-K-E-Y-P-O-D. And um, I guess a real quick synopsis is it's um, I play music, mostly independent music, and um, I do interviews, and I sort of document my sort of trek into activism slash political awareness. Michael, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thanks for having me. I had a good time. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. If you'd like to drop me a comment about this week's show, just email me at BillGrady at YouAreTheGuest.com. That concludes this week's edition of You Are The Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.
Music provided from the Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.